0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to Bible Truth for Living. This is your host, Pastor Tim Reynolds. It's always a joy to be with you, uh, whether you're listening through our podcast or if it's a Sunday morning, you're listening on the radio. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. I also want to thank those who were able to attend our, uh, pre-election prayer rally last, uh, Sunday evening. We had a great turnout, great weather and, and a great turnout of folks. And I sure pretty appreciate my fellow, uh, brothers and pastors. Uh, Rodney Mallott and Kent Jackson and Ron Lash. I thought they did a wonderful job, and we sure appreciate all of you coming, praying for our nation and praying for our leaders moving forward. Today's message I'm taking from Psalm 107, and I've titled the message, Reeling with Regret. From Psalm 107, verse 28, the Bible says, well, let me begin actually in verse 26. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. Notice there in verse 27, it says, They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. The title of this message is Reeling, with regret. A couple of weeks ago, I had a bout of vertigo. I don't know if you have ever experienced that before. It's a motion sickness type of dizziness. I've had it two or three times before, and uh, I'm unsure if it's sinus-related or blood pressure-related, but if you have ever had that, uh, it's really uh, a miserable thing. It comes on you pretty quickly uh and it's it's uh something where you feel like you can't hardly even lift your head up uh you can't hardly stand or walk without holding on to something, and it's like reeling to and fro from motion sickness and about all you can do is take some medicine and try to uh get some rest and get over that dizzy feeling now uh, I'm telling you that because the connection we have here in the verse is of. Uh, the effects of sin. We have an analogy of how sin can get the soul and spirit off balance. The scripture says they reel to and fro. That's, that's someone who is, uh, they're trusting in themselves, and so their soul is melted, they're in trouble, uh, whether it's through something that is self-inflicted, and sin is usually self-inflicted, uh, whatever it is, and they cry out to the Lord in their trouble we can get spiritually and emotionally off balance. When we do that, we can get discouraged, depressed, and defeated in our spiritual walk. Now, I'm talking specifically to believers today, and and I'll share some thoughts with unbelievers in a moment, but I want you to know that as a Christian, the enemy wants you and I to be off balance. You see, he, he does two things. He comes to us as a tempter, tempting us to sin, and then he comes as an accuser. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that he is uh, the accuser of the brethren. For example, Satan will tell you in your mind, in your soul, oh, you can get by with sin. And then when you commit that thing, he will accuse and say, well, you'll never get by with that. He will tempt and say, you deserve to do such and such. And then when you commit that sin, he will accuse you and say, well, boy, are you a hypocrite for doing that? He will tempt and say, your sin won't hurt anyone. And then he will accuse and say, well, look at everyone that you've hurt by your sin. He will tempt and say, no one will know what you did. You can get by with it. And then he will accuse you and say, now everyone knows what you did. He will tempt you and say, God understands your sin and he won't mind a little bit of sin. And then once you commit it, he will accuse you and say, God won't forgive you of that. He'll never use you again. You see, that's how Satan keeps us off balance. Now, If one or more of these things sound familiar to you, you are reeling with regret. Now, I want you to know you're in good company because we've all been there. If you've been saved for any number of years, there have been times when you have gotten out of fellowship with God and deal with uh, sin in your life, and we need to know what to do when we are reeling from the effects of sin. I think the first thing that as Christians we need to realize is that we all have the capability for sin. Now, sin comes natural to the unbeliever. The unbeliever has no capability or capacity of overcoming sin, but the saint does. And and, uh, even though you may not feel like a saint, according to the scripture, if you're saved, you're a saint. You don't have a halo over your head. I don't don't have a halo yet. (laughs) None of us do. But according to God and his word, we are saints. And as saints, we have the capability to sin, but we also have the capability through the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 in verse 12, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Now, let not implies then that this is a choice. He says, don't let it reign in your mortal body that you should obey it, the sin in the lust thereof. Neither yield or give in your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. So you can either give in to the flesh and give in to sin. He says, don't do that, but give in yourself as instruments of righteousness to God. God for sin shall not have dominion or power authority over you for you are not under the law but under grace now here's what paul is saying paul is saying that now you are saved you have been made free first of all from the power of sin You don't have to give in to it. You know, well, you know, I just couldn't help myself. Well, that's not true of a believer because one of the things the Holy Spirit does for us is he gives us power over sin if we'll ask him to help us. Now, that's not willpower. That's not you or I saying, you know, through willpower, we're going to overcome sin. No, it's through the help of the Holy Spirit. So we have been made free from the power of sin. And thank God we have been made free from the penalty of sin. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus took that penalty for us. Now that's good news, but the apostle John is going to tell us something that we also need to realize, and that is that we are not free from the presence of sin we still have the presence of sin because we still are in a mortal body. John says this in 1 John 1 and verse eight, if we, so he includes himself, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now that is not written to unbelievers. That is written to believers. So if we say we haven't sinned and uh, we don't have any sin in us, then we make God a liar. The truth is we still have that sin nature, but we have something to combat that with. Uh, It's been put this way. Sin is an unexpected opportunity and an undetected weakness in an unprotected life. Beloved, as a Christian, given the right opportunity and the right circumstances, even saints are capable of sin. And we must recognize that. Number two, you must realize that there are consequences for sin. Now, we're going to read from Psalm 51, and the majority of this message will be from that text. Psalm 51 is written by David. David is the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the only man in the Bible whom God refers to as a man after God's own heart. We know him as the young man who slew the giant Goliath. He was anointed king of Israel as a young man. Had many triumphs in his life, and yet David also was a sinner. He was an adulterer, he was a murderer. And Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance. And in this prayer, we see no fewer than seven consequences of sin. Uh, If you are bound to sin, you are bound to suffer. It just comes along with it. David's health suffered, his family suffered, his career suffered, and his kingdom suffered as the consequences of sin. Let me give you quickly these seven consequences of sin that we uh, read about in Psalm 51. First of all, sin will soil the soul. David says in Psalm 51 and verse 2, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me For my sin. He says, wash me and cleanse me. What's going on here? David feels dirty on the inside. Now, as the king, David bathed in the finest marble tub available. He slept on silken sheets. He was dressed in royal robes, uh, and yet he felt slimy and grimy and dirty. Why? Because he knew he had backslidden and was out of fellowship with God. Now, that's a good thing. That may not sound good, but the truth is, you know you're saved when sin Sin makes you feel dirty. If sin does not make you feel dirty, your nature has never been changed, all right? Uh, we have a, a pet, uh, a pet pig, and his name is Kevin Bacon. And Kevin Bacon loves a good mud pit. I mean, he'll go out and he'll root around till he can find a good place and he'll just lay in it. It feels good to him. Why? Because that's his nature. But if your nature has been changed, yes, you'll still sin, but you won't feel good about it. A child of God may lapse into sin, but he'll loathe it, while a child of the devil will leap into sin and loves it. He's comfortable there. So sin will soil the soul. And then secondly, sin will saturate the mind. David continues in verse 3, and he says, My sin is ever before me. Uh, It wounded his psyche. It was the first thing David thought about when he got out of bed in the morning. It was the last thing he thought about as he tried to fall asleep at night, as he would carry out his royal duties. Uh, In the back of his mind, in his conscience, was constantly the fact that he had sinned against God. You know, it can come out uh, like that through the mind. It may come out through a migraine headache or an, uh, an inability to concentrate, an inability to pray, an irritable temper. Uh, It can come through in many different ways because man is body, soul, and spirit. Now, don't misunderstand. Not every migraine headache, not every time you're unable to concentrate is that uh, because of sin, but it is a fact uh, that some of the time those things can be the case. It was with David. He says, it's ever before me. I can't shake uh, this this sin that I have committed. Number three, sin will sting the conscience. Kind of goes along with the same thing. In verse four, he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight David here is not concerned about the punishment he's not concerned about his position as the king he's not even concerned with his reputation with the people. his concern is that he has broken not just the law of God but he has broken the heart of God. He is upset that he has disappointed God. You know, a slave will fear the whip, the punishment, but a son fears the displeasure of his father. And David, uh, as his conscience here is being stung, he is uh, disappointed in himself for displeasing God. Number four, another consequence of sin is that sin will sicken the body. In verse 8, he tells God, he says, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now, God had not literally broken the physical bones of David. What's he talking about here? Well, David is using poetry to describe the great pressure of conviction that God is putting him through. He likens it to a broken bone. Uh, I have had a couple of broken bones in my lifetime, and uh, when you break a bone, it's just a a dull, nagging pain that will even make you nauseous, almost sick to your stomach uh, when you have that. And God here is putting the squeeze on David, so to speak. He is feeling stressed. Sin can create ulcers. It can cause insomnia and depression. It can also lead to physical ailments. Uh, David possibly uh, even experienced uh, sexually transmitted disease because of his sin. Uh, There are some scriptures that allude to that. Of course, we know that if you abuse your body, uh, things like lung cancer and cirrhosis of the liver, those things are physical things that uh, can be caused from uh, from sin uh, on the body, the effect on the body. Number five, sin will sour the spirit. In verse 10, David says to God, in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Well, if he's asking for a right spirit, that means that he currently has a wrong spirit. What does that mean? Well, David's spirit was sour. He had become critical and distempered in his attitude. We know that because of his response To the prophet Nathan when his sin was exposed. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, you have Nathan the prophet coming to King David to reveal his sin to him. Now, David already knew he had sinned and he thought he got by with it. A year uh, nearly has gone by. But the Bible says in in, uh, the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12 and uh, verse 1, give me a minute to, to find it here. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. So here comes the prophet to the king. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city. The one was rich, the other one poor the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up and it grew up together with him and with his children it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter so you have two men here a rich man who has many flocks you have a poor man who has one little lamb and this little lamb had become the family pet it would eat from the same table it it would sit on the lap of this man, and it was so precious to him. The Bible says there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So the rich man has a visitor one day. He did not want to take from his own flocks because that would be getting into his profits. So he goes to this poor man, and I can see him as the poor man and his family are gathered there, and the rich man forcibly takes this little lamb, and the little kids maybe are crying, no, don't take the lamb, but he does anyway, and he kills that little lamb, and he feeds it to the traveler. Now David is angry, and the Bible says his anger was greatly kindled against the man. Nathan is using this story as an analogy, and he says to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Boy, David is real quick to cast judgment upon this rich man who had taken the lamb until Nathan reveals the rest of the story. Uh, as Paul Harvey would say, and Nathan said to David, thou art the man, you know, David reveals a sour, critical disposition when he, uh, scolds this rich man and says, put him to death. Isn't it funny how we can look at other people's sins and we can see how terrible they are and yet overlook our own, you know, Jesus said that to the Pharisees, you can see the little speck in someone's eye, but you can't see the beam coming out of your own. And so uh, David had become very sour in spirit and had become unpleasant. Uh, Truth is, it's more pleasant to be around a lost uh, pagan person uh, than it is to be around a backslidden Christian, because sometimes they can become the most sour uh, and uh, critical people. Number six, sin will sadden the heart. Back to our text in Psalm 51 and verse 12. David says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He does not say to God, restore my salvation. He was saved. He was a believer in God. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You know, you can be saved and you can be miserable at the same time. Pastor Adrian Rogers said, when God saves you, he doesn't fix you so you can't sin anymore. He fixes you so you can't sin and enjoy it anymore. David says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. His heart is sad. And then number seven, sin will seal the lips. In verse 13, he says, God, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. You see, before David confessed his sin, he had no urgency to tell others about Jesus. He didn't feel like teaching uh, a class or teaching anyone about the things of God. He had no joy to sing. He would hear music, and this guy was a poet. He was a music, uh, A musician, he would write songs and play songs, and yet he had no song to sing or to play. He had no testimony to share. He had no ability to do any of these things because he knew deep down inside that they were hypocritical. And he says, God, I want that back. I want to be able to enjoy the music again. I want to be able to uh, testify for you again. Now, the accuser has David up against the ropes. David uh, feels like that all victory, everything in the past, that he had been victorious, it was all over now. And uh, the accuser has him right where he wanted But David was wise enough to know he did not have to stay there. And David does something that I think we all can do. And he utilized the comeback from sin. Now, your adversary, the accuser, the devil, does not want you to believe that a comeback from sin is possible. He wants you to be down and discouraged and depressed and in despair. He wants you down and plans to keep you down. But God's word says you don't have to stay down. In in fact, through David's prayer here, the Holy Spirit gives us three keys to a comeback from sin. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're holding on to some sin you committed Uh, 20 years ago. Maybe it's something that you have confessed, but you haven't been able to uh, let go of uh, your own self and you're beating yourself up over it. Maybe you're involved in something right now that you've not been willing to confess and you know that you need to take care of it. What, What do you do? Well, here's what David shares with us. Number one, you can have confidence in the grace and mercy of God. He says back in chapter 51 and verse one, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He reminds God of his mercy, his loving kindness, and his tender mercies. In spite of his great sin that David had committed, he was confident in God's great grace. I like how Paul says it in Romans five and verse 20, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Beloved, there is no sin that God will not forgive you of. If you've sinned against God, then welcome to the club. We've all done it. Peter did it. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ uh, himself and yet preached that message on Pentecost when 3,000 were saved. We've all let God down, but we can be confident in his grace and in his mercy. And if we'll just do the next thing, and that is confess, he'll forgive us. David says there in Psalm 51 and verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, wait a minute. Admission is not the same as confession. The word is confession, not admission. What's the difference? Well, admission says, Yes, I did it because... I I committed adultery because my husband or my wife was not paying enough attention to me. I stole that money because I needed it to take care of my family. Or I did it, but it's not as bad as someone else. Yes, I did sin, but uh, it's not as bad as what somebody else did. My neighbor, my coworker. That's admission. That's not confession. Confession says, God, I am guilty as charged. I have no excuse. I have no alibi. God, you're right, and I'm wrong. That's That's confession. That's where God wants us. And David even says in Psalm 51 and verse 17, I'll read 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. God is not looking for you to give more money to sacrifice or to make excuses. God is looking for you and I to confess it and say, God, you're right. I have no excuse. I have no alibi. You're right and I'm wrong. God, please forgive me. So there's confidence. There is confession. And then thank God there's cleansing. David says in Psalm 51 and verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The word purge does not simply mean to cover a stain. It means to completely remove it. You don't just treat it. You know, you take some stain treatment. I don't want a stain treatment for my sin. I want a stain remover. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ does. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is God's triple activating detergent, confidence and confession and cleansing. You no longer have to reel from regret. You can rest in the removal of your sin. The Bible says that he has cast them as far as the East is from the West. There used to be an old song that I remember uh, when I was a kid and it sort of went like this. What sin are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. My, vo- my singing voice isn't too good, but that you, Get the idea. Here we are. We're holding on to it, and that we've already asked God to forgive us, and we think we have to keep on doing it. And God says, "I don't know what you're talking about. I already forgave you of that. You need to let that go and move forward for God." Listen, you can live in in, in regret, or you can say, "God, I need you to help me out." the 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 accuser wants you to live in regret, and listen, he'll throw a memory up. I remember whenever I was a, a young person, we used to go to Southern California to visit my mom's family. We would go at Christmas time about every other year. And I can remember remember one Christmas when my dad seemed to listen to over and over the Christmas song, Feliz Navidad. Maybe you remember that song. It's played every Christmas. And I, every time I hear that song now at 52 years old, I go back to my childhood and I can remember those trips in the station wagon where uh, my dad would play Feliz Navidad. Now, I'm telling you that story because what Satan does is he will use, sometimes it's a song, sometimes it's a, a smell. Sometimes it's a situation. Sometimes it happens late at night where he will throw up a memory. And you'll think, oh, boy, I can't believe that I did that. And you can just wallow in regret. Or you can say, you know what, accuser, I've been forgiven of that. Get out of here. The Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Devil, you're right about your accusation. I did that. But God has forgiven me, and I choose to let that go and move forward because I've confessed and I've been cleansed of that sin. And then you don't have to reel from regret anymore. Well, I pray the message was a help to you and a good reminder for us that we need to confess and then when we do that move forward for God I encourage you to be in the house of the Lord today if you do not have a home church we invite you to Mount Vernon Baptist Temple at nine o'clock we have Sunday school every Sunday morning 10 o'clock morning worship and six o'clock evening service and then a Waltonville Community Church 1115 every Sunday morning we invite you if you have a home church and you can be there I encourage you to be there today and uh, spend the Lord's day in the Lord's house thank you so much for tuning in today and those listening to our podcast. We pray you have a wonderful day, and I look forward to being with you again next time. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you, is my prayer.